Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. We've got a fun and interesting show for you. We've got a couple of solar gurus um, for the state of Colorado with us today. Uh, But before we go um, to Taylor Henderson and Mike Kruger, I wanted to talk just a little bit about the election that just happened. It's, of course, it's all the buzz with everybody right now. Some really interesting things happened. And I know what my opinion is on it, but I always love to hear Brian's take on kind of what happened because he's always looks at it from a very um, 30,000 foot perspective. So Brian, what did you think about this whole election? So just specifically the Pueblo election. So we're going to go local here. Okay. We talk about Pueblo a lot and today's show is very Pueblo centric again. But um, one interesting thing. So in Pueblo, we had the city council race, school board races. Um, One, the, the biggest takeaway that I've had from this and they've just now finalized it is that None of the incumbents won. I think there was only one incumbent that had opponents. There, there were other incumbents that didn't have opponents that won. But for all the incumbents that had opponent, uh, opponents, uh, only one of them came out. So this wasn't just a trend in Pueblo. I mean, this was no, the case no. in Pueblo. But this is a trend that we've seen statewide and also nationwide. Yeah, and the interesting thing. That's the thing, big thing. Well, and for, for good and bad, I think it really shows where people are at. That a lot of the the winners in Pueblo, you know, it's, it was left and right. It wasn't like there was no pattern around it. You you yeah. had some far left people get elected, some far right people get elected. Um, our previous guest who ran for school board, like he announced early, came in or late, came in and he crushed it. He won. He crushed um, it, and we were surprised. I was genuinely surprised. I knew what we were hearing around mm-hmm. our community. Um, but and he put almost no money into it. No, he did no, it himself, totally funded it himself, out of his pocket, and it wasn't a lot. I mean, it was just basically some signs and stuff. But yeah, he did crush it. We were, I was really yeah, happy I'm about that. Yeah, trying to find him. So he won. He ran for Pueblo County School District seventy, District five. Right. And he received around seventy one hundred votes, and his opponent received around fifty three hundred votes. So somebody that late in the game didn't spend any money on it. Yeah. And it was just word of mouth. Like, he, he crushed it. Um, another guest we had on was Brandon Martin. And he right. was the, my former intern that was running for city council. He unfortunately lost. But he got he got an impressive number of votes for his first run. It was, it was great. And it was uh, three candidates for one seat. And um, he, he came in second. And he did decent in that. And I told him, don't let it get you down because he's new at it. He's young. It's like, this is all name recognition. You're going to get in. And I I think his opponent, Vicente, and I know, I've known Vicente for years. Um, You know, he primarily ran uh, on one issue, but he had the name recognition for it as well. And and that just shows that, you know, name recognition is important when it comes to these elections. But then I told Brandon, it's like, dude, this just gets you the name recognition. Like, what are you going to do next? Like, what are you eyeballing here? So, um, yeah, unfortunate that he lost. But again, I know Vicente and... um, 
contrary to what people say or what you may hear, Vicente's a good guy and I think his heart's in the right place. So that, that Well, I think all of everybody's heart is in the right place. I yeah. think we, and we talked about it in the last show, but what we saw was so many people being involved on these very local elections. Yeah. And so all of a sudden we're getting questions, everybody's getting questions, they're having discussions on issues and candidates in a way I don't think has happened in a long time. Yeah, and even in Pueblo, you know, uh, the last election showed that voters were very particular in how they wanted to spend their money. So they voted for some tax and fee increases and voted other ones down, which means that they're paying attention, which is a great thing. But even in um, Pueblo City County, uh, there was ballot issue 2A, which was the revenue for roads, uh, basically fixing the roads. And that passed like 15,000 to 6,000. Right. Um, and the Colorado City Metropolitan District ballot issue, that passed. Yep. Yeah, yep. that there are not a lot of votes in that. Not a no, lot of people there's, there. there wasn't a lot of people voting on um, that. But this, but statewide, all the everything that was on the ballot got trashed. Yeah, like completely. Nope. Nope. And, nope. 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 And even in Pueblo, the marijuana tax increase did not pass. So again, it shows that people are paying attention, and it shows a lot of people smoke weed in Pueblo and <laughs> don't want it to be more expensive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that, that was a statewide one, but, you know, Pueblo, Pueblo voted that down. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it was interesting. Okay, so really quick before we start our conversation with Taylor and Mike, what do you think this means for looking at statewide and even local, and it's a microcosm? So Pueblo was very much, as it always is, a microcosm for everything yes, else. Yes, I, I think it's a trend you're going to see where it's not necessarily party lines on the election, but I think they're... And we saw it with even back to Donald Trump, that there is this idea that we get the incumbents out, we bring in new fresh faces. And again, some of them, it's more polarized. And, and that's the issue that I see here locally, that you're going to have more polarizing people on the school boards because the school boards are all brand new now. Yeah. Like every incumbent lost on the school boards. So and again, it goes left and right. So it's going to be interesting to watch the dynamic where you have these people with one set of beliefs on one side and another kind of get in the mix. And also a lot of these faces that we saw get elected, um, they have no political experience. So they don't oh, even yeah. know how it works yet. They just want to make a difference. They got in and it's going to kind of be a reality check for somebody that doesn't really understand the system, but it, it's good. I like, I like to see fresh faces, yeah. um, you know, not the norm. Pueblo has a reputation of always electing the same people. And the word from the voters, that. like the message from the voters is like, we don't appreciate that anymore. We want to see something different. And I can appreciate that. And I can agree with it. I could disagree it with it to a point because you do have that institutional knowledge that is lost when new faces come in. Right. But at the same time, it's like if the people aren't happy with the way it's working right now, especially on a local level, like they're going to get rid of you and they're going to bring new people in to maybe have a different perspective and we'll see. So I think uh, the biggest thing is that for me personally was to see so many people get involved and paying attention mm -hmm. and doing research and, and doing all that. I hope that doesn't get lost in this next interim election. So with that, I want to uh, introduce our guests today. Um, both of them are members of Action 22. They've been very involved. We've been having a lot of discussions because, of course, we're constantly talking about energy development in the region. And Action 22 in particular is going to see a whole lot of energy development um, in the mm -hmm. next little bit. 
Uh, everybody in Colorado is just naturally an environmentalist, so we love to see the green energy um, development. That being said, we are also very cognizant of the impacts that that development can have because creation is always messy. Yeah. And so I, I asked Taylor, we've been having a lot of conversations over the last few months with both Taylor and Mike, but in particular, I wanted to bring um, them on today to sort of give some perspective from a developer as to what this can should and currently looks like. So with that, can, and, let me... And, well, and, and a preface to that. Okay. Um, there is, it, Colorado is going to renewable energy. It, right. It's, it's just happening, whether you agree with it or not. And um, Taylor and Mike, they represent the solar industry and they work on a lot of projects, but basically they're the solar dudes. They That's are the solar I dudes. That's refer to them as. And, and we've been trying to build some bridges with them and the local community because they have a lot of stuff in the works. Um, again, Colorado's going to the renewable standard, uh, Pueblo's like on track to do it. And there's some back and forth, whether how or not that's going to get done and what the process is going to be. So we've been very involved with them to kind of streamline that process and connect them to the people that they need to talk to, to make this happen. Because I think it's very important to Pueblo. Um, there's a lot of private individuals, private citizens in Pueblo that are offering you know land and projects to help with this switch to renewable energies so so um and along that vein we're going to be having a lot more discussions about um private property and how that is used so yes. with that i want to um introduce everybody to taylor henderson first and then mike kruger second so taylor can you give uh, our listeners just a little bit about of a background about who you are and what you've been working on sure and and thank you, Sarah and Brian, for all you do. Uh, I'm sorry that I couldn't be in your studio uh, as we intended. And kind of the way today has worked out, I'm here in my fancy high-tech production studio. Uh, <laughs> it's got good excuses. So, yeah, I was, I was looking through some of the backgrounds here. I was like, uh, Golden Gate Bridge, blurred, you know, et cetera. But uh, yeah. In general, uh, you know, really appreciate the advocacy you all do and, and the approach you take. Uh, you know, I think speaking, so my personal background is uh, that I started in renewable energy development uh, going on about 15 years ago, uh, first in, in wind energy, then in solar, uh, then doing some work in residential solar for a big Fortune 50 who started up a, a residential solar division and selling product and, and launched that market. They, they chose Colorado as their launch market. Oh, sorry, I'm getting messages here about uh, having bad audio. So I may turn off my video here for a moment. Yeah, okay. go for it. Yeah. You're choppy. So, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, so uh, out here in the hinterlands of, of the uh, Pueblo, uh, I'm kidding, uh, Pueblo uh, metro region, but... Uh, I'm teasing, but uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, I've had the great privilege of working in this industry, and and you know, it's one uh, about three or four about four years ago now started Outshine Energy, which is a Colorado-based developer of solar and wind projects, uh, and you know, we've had the good fortune of working in the Action Twenty Two uh, you know, area, twenty two counties and uh, working with some of the utilities uh, focused in the area. 
and these communities. We uh, are a community-focused developer of renewable energy projects. We believe that we're welcomed into these communities because we try to to kind of further the the the, the goals of the community by bringing projects to fruition uh, and, and really view solar and wind as a piece of the puzzle, uh, not necessarily a, a full-on you know. Uh, not necessarily a strategic takeover, but rather a, you know, a, a complement to the the overall puzzle uh, as as you know the industries grow and as the there's an opportunity to create economic development from these projects. Nice, um, Mike. Um, we've got you on as well. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh, what it is you do and about your organization? Sure. Uh, thank you, Sarah and Brian, for having me. It's a real pleasure and honor uh, to be speaking with you today and speaking with the folks across Southern Colorado. Uh, and I'm a proud member of Action 22 um, and really, really enjoy the relationship. Uh, I myself am a member, part, uh, run a members organization. We are the um, Colorado Solar and Storage Association. So we're the, the trade group that represents solar uh, and storage installers across the state. And we have everything from a large, uh, you know, uh, uh, large installations like the light source BP installation out there at the Everest Mill, all the way to rooftop. Uh, so Steel City Solar is a good uh, upstanding member of COSA there in the Pueblo area. And, um, and so my job is, is to represent them primarily at the state through regulatory and legislative proceedings. But recently I've been down in Pueblo uh, to talk through uh, land use, and we're seeing that becoming an increasingly important part of the conversation. Solar and renewable and the energy evolution can be talked about in theory, but the reality is solar panels and wind turbines and the rest get put in on somebody's ground or somebody's roof somewhere, and that has an impact on the community. The goal of the, the solar industry is really to be a member of that community to really ensure that the, the community benefits and that there's a long-term relationship there. Our panels will last at a minimum of 20 years, sometimes as much as uh, 30. And so we know that if you put a panel on a roof or a panel out in the field, um, that it's going to be there a while, and therefore we need to understand and uh, and be uh, contributing to the communities that we're going to be with for you know three decades. So, which is crazy. There will be panels installed today that will be still producing power after I'm retired. So it's <laughs> like a long. It's hard for me to get my head around. And hopefully, me too. <laughs> yes. So. So there's been a whole lot of discussion of late, in particular, um, around ordinances and land use. And I know that you guys have worked on this, um, helping communities, because as the development happens, there needs to be some kind of plan or strategy as to how to how that works. Um, so talk a little bit about first, um, if you can talk a little bit about the round the I guess the flavor of the issue around the state of Colorado. And then let's talk about what's happening down in the Action 22 region. Sure, well, I'll take the first part and then I'll leave Taylor to the second part. So um, due to the declining costs of wind and, uh, and solar, uh, we're seeing consumers across the board from large utilities to individuals go, uh, you know, selecting renewable energy. So what that has uh, impacted is the state policy. In 2019, we had uh, a law passed that sets a, sets a goal. Um, it's actually not legally binding, but we're all acting as if it is because uh, as Sarah, you mentioned, we do care about the, 
the earth that we live in, especially this state, we all live here because of its beauty and we want to protect that. Um, and by using renewables, we can uh, have a smaller environmental impact. So we're seeing across the state this uh, push towards renewables. We now have a state goal of 80% renewables or clean energy as it's, as it's defined in the statute, which has some, uh, there's some differences, but I don't know if they matter all that much for this conversation, but primarily it's going to be wind and solar, um, which translates to about a gigawatt of solar or, or wind um, deployed each year for the entire 2020s, a total of 10 gigawatts uh, to get us there. And that's across the entire state. However, uh, as it turns out, many of the Action 22 uh, counties have amazing solar and or wind resource. And so Excel has recently proposed a 580 mile transmission line that connects all the way up from Weld County, all runs parallel to the uh, Kansas border. And then it will, would come across uh, through multiple counties, including Crowley and, and, and then ultimately into Pueblo. The desire there is for, to build this transmission line, which being as covering such a broad geographic region is you can tap into what, what we in the utility or what the solar industry need. We need large amounts of inexpensive land and we need a lot of sun. So, uh, and of course the wind folks similar, they need large amounts of land uh, because their wind farm, although the turbines are smaller, their wind farms are spread out across thousands of acres um, and they need lots of wind. So we have now a state goal. We have the largest utility in the state uh, proposing a brand new giant infrastructure package, which will uh, hopefully bring a lot of economic development to many of the Action 22 counties. Um, and, and then you've got solar quickly following behind in trying to connect into that. So that's why you're suddenly seeing uh, a lot of interest from solar developers in and around, um, you know, especially the eastern part of your Action 22 network. We can talk a little bit about the San Luis Valley and, and some trouble we've got there later, but, but you know, the, the, the Crowleys and the Cheyennes and, and all those folks are, I think, having folks knock on the door saying, can I interest you in a solar lease? And they, they've never seen these people before. So I'll turn it over to Taylor, who is on site uh, with, uh, you know, there in, in uh, Southern Colorado to talk a little bit about, um, you know, specifically the solar developer question you asked. Yeah. So, so Taylor, talk to us a little bit about um, the, the plan, how the ordinances, how this is actually done and how that's coming out. Great. Uh, yeah. Happy to, to do that. And, and uh, I get to I, let me know if, if at all point uh, the, the audio becomes an issue, but um, the, you know, we're seeing uh, as, as with any industry, the growth, you know, the experiencing opportunities for, you know, continued refinement here. And I think, you know, we've seen it not just in the Action 22 uh, territory this year, but also in Pro 15. And, and I expect out in, in the Club 20 area as well, Colorado and Western Slope and, and, and Pro 15, obviously being in the Northeastern Colorado, uh, where, you know, as these projects are becoming these applications are reaching uh, the county jurisdictions and, and the planning commission, planning departments. There's a lot of dis discussion about the, the circular nature of the projects that, that we work on and, you know, what this looks like in terms of returning the agricultural land to, uh, you know, to ag after the, the life of the project. And I think Mike and I would, you know, strongly kind of uh, and vehemently say we are we are very in favor of having that discussion and very much in, in 
support of having a, a dialogue with planning department directors, having a board of county commissioners, uh, with, uh, you know, landowners and with the industry and arriving at, uh, you know, a community, community centric kind of decision on how projects return or return to, um, you know, how the land is returned to its, uh, ag use at the end of a life of a project. And so, uh, you know, COSA was a, a driver of, um, Colorado Solar and Storage Association was a driver of uh, responsible permitting standards, uh, which included decommissioning uh, in Weld County uh, earlier this year. And, and that same discussion is now taking place in, uh, in Pueblo County. And, you know, I think it's, it's uh, a great opportunity for, to, to to get the kind of parameters for this, you know, great economic development opportunity right. And, and so I'll, I'll pause my comments there, certainly open to more discussion on the matter. So if would I, you, go ahead, Mike. I was gonna say, if I could jump in. So um, as it turns out, I got a notice that Kit Carson uh, County, which I don't believe is an Action 22 member, has decided to recently re-up their, their rules around permitting. So what we've seen happen again and again, Adams County, Weld County, Pueblo County, I think uh, Washington County and Carson County, the first solar or first wind is exciting. Everybody's very excited about it. A lot of, there's a ribbon cutting, there's some bat, you know, packing, uh, padding on your back. Everyone's like, yeah, this is great. Look at us. This is, we're diversifying. This is really great. Um, and then the second one shows up and people are like, oh, I guess we're doing this again. Okay, great. <laughs> I guess there. Um, and then the third one shows up and then somebody unbearably says, wait, are we just going to carpet the whole county with wind and solar now? Like what's going on here? What, who's going to call a, a stop to this? And, um, you know, for your folks who are listening that are, that are policymakers, that person is not an enjoyable person to get a phone call from on a random Wednesday morning. Right. <laughs> uh, and I think Taylor's, Taylor's point of like, if you're going to be a county that's going to be trying to attract this economic development, the, the short-term construction jobs, the long-term lease payments, the long-term tax payments, um, you're going to want to get ahead of this. You're going to want to have some conversations with myself or solar developers to figure out, you know, what are the correct rules for your community about how you do solar? Everybody does them differently. Adams is quite different than Weld. Weld's is quite different than, than Pueblo's proposed. Um, you know, uh, there's other counties like Lincoln County, um, which is extremely pro wind, at least. And I think they'd like to see more solar. They've changed their rules to be that way. But important thing here is that that the first one, everyone's excited about the second one. Everyone's like, eh. the third one almost invariably is the straw that breaks the camel's back. So if there's policymakers listening. I, I'm warning you right now. The third one is going to get you a phone call from an angry constituent. And then you've got to do something and you got to do something fast. So is the concern that you're hearing from the, these communities, is it around jobs? Is it around an um, impact? Is it around who owns the solar? What are their, what are their big concerns, especially with that third, the third strike on that? So I'll take that first and then, and I, then I'll jump it over to Taylor. I think we get all sorts. Uh, there's definitely a concern that the energy evolution will uh, drive out traditional fossil fuel generation. And certainly that was an issue in Weld County. Uh, I think the industry worked very hard to show that they're symbiotic and that they, there is a transition period that will happen. And it, they're not directly you know, uh, with one another. Now, it's a little different in some of the coal communities where they are seeing an immediate impact. So that's for sure. Then you also get, you know, Adams County, this is an issue. They just didn't want to look at it. The neighbors just didn't like it, right? There's a lot of that um, kind of what we call a view shed issue. Um, and then there's some other folks for whom 
I think, you know, kind of a tribal um, idea that they, that they belong, that the solar or wind doesn't belong in their community. It's just not how they imagined it and they don't see it. And so that's, that's the hardest conversation to be honest, because that is a case where they have to really kind of reimagine their community. The other ones we can, we can work with the communities to figure out how that can, can pay out. But, but those are really the issues we run into. Um, then there sometimes can be a little jealousy uh, if a landowner, one landowner is able to get a lease in a project. And they start to see that, that revenue and their neighbor doesn't, um, you know, we've seen a little bit of that, but, you know, I mean, if you've, you've never been in small town, Colorado, if you haven't seen those sort of jealousies, right. Whether it's your neighbor's F-150 or, or their solar project. So uh, Taylor, you're on the ground. What are you seeing? Oh, I think he got cut off. He's coming back. He's in. coming back on. Taylor, are you with us? This Maybe. Tough to tough to be visiting a landowner and then trying to call so, him to the radio. Um, and we know exactly where he's at right this second, yeah. and he he's not going to get the best service. Taylor, did you did you come back with us? It appears as though he's dropped off. Maybe not. Yeah, which is interesting because we're working on a project that covers this right now <laughs> in Southern Broadband. Colorado. But yeah, we only have a couple minutes um, till the break, but. Um, there's a few things I want to bring up. So when we come back, I'm going to play the devil's advocate and do the whole argument against solar and see how you answer that. And then uh, share some interesting stories from my experience working in constituent services with a congressman and how people think about this and what they say and what I've heard in the past, which is funny, I guess you can say. But So before we go to the break, um, really quick, Mike, um, Give a shout out to somebody who has been really great to work with and you feel like this is the, the direction, this is what we want these kinds of projects to look like. Uh, in the Action 22 space, I think that's uh, we're still working on that with uh, Pueblo County. I will say that uh, Commissioner uh, Lori Sane up in Weld County uh, was uh, instrumental for us to bro broker a deal that will allow solar to be uh, developed in Weld County alongside oil and gas reserves. And, and, uh, she's, you know, she, I don't think she, you would have put her in a pro solar camp, uh, at any point in her political career, but she recognized the impact and the positive, uh, impact mm -hmm. that solar could make on her constituents and her, her, um, her communities. So, you know, it, it was, it was a strange conversation the first time around, but, uh, pretty clearly commissioner saying got to a place where she, um, uh, you know, wanted to, do all of the above for energy. And, you know, my, my limited conversations with Chair Ortiz in Pueblo County are very similar. You know, he is yeah. open to compromise, open to figuring out how best to do everything uh, within the, the, the confines of what he can do as a county commissioner. Well, we love it. And we're, of course, we're big fans of Garrison Ortiz and uh, Action 22 team is. So everybody stick around. When we come back, we're going to do a little bit deeper dive on what this is all going to look like and what uh, you should be watching for as a, a land and property owner and also just a citizen where a solar project's gonna be coming up in your area. Stick around. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. Um, we are on with what we lovingly refer to as the solar dudes um, whenever we're talking about them. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's going to catch on with these two. Everybody in the state is going to start calling them the solar dudes. Solar dudes. The solar dudes. Um, so it's been an interesting road the last few months as, uh, like Mike just detailed, there's a there's a third project, and then everybody starts paying attention. So everybody's really excited for the first project. They're like, okay, cool, for the second project, and then the third project. So now we're starting to look at fourth and fifth and sixth yeah. projects as the state of Colorado moves to toward the energy goals of 80% reduction yeah. in emissions um, in the next few years. So for our area... It, this is going to be a very interesting transition because it's very much, we're very excited about solar, but I think there's a few things that people have recurring questions about. So I'm yeah. going to Brian so, ask those questions. Yeah, so I'll go to the negative first and then the, the positive. So 
one thing and then working in a congressional office um you know it's we would get the calls like we don't need solar it's worse for the environment um we're just buying they would say like chinese solar panels that are polluting the earth and we can't get rid of them we can't recycle them and it just causes more pollution why not just use coal so going back to mike um you know what would you say about that mike like is solar really bad for the environment uh I appreciate the the um, the question, and I'm just going to pause real quick and, <laughs> and say, uh, "Solar Dudes" T-shirt is now top of my Christmas list. I have I've already oh. te- texted my wife that okay, she has to find me dude. Solar Dudes. Solar right. Dudes. Solar right. Dude. Uh, so if yeah. it does catch on, you right, you heard it here first, everybody. We, this is Action it. 22. I will wear a Solar Dude with an arrow pointing for you <laughs> at the next event we're at. So, yeah. Yeah. well, great. For the record. Uh, for the record, four dads here between Mike and I have three daughters as well. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, so oh solar, solar dads, dad. women. Yeah, yeah, solar we could do dad. that as well. But I, I do like solar dudes. Well, so Brian, back to your question. <laughs> you know, what's what is the impact of of uh, solar panels, trackers? You know, uh, the the power electronics to go with it. Uh, the answer is, you know, like all things, they have a an environmental footprint. However, the mm-hmm. environmental footprint of a solar um, the, the, the manufacturer construction of a solar facility is less over the lifetime than a fossil generation due to the, the lack of greenhouse gases that are put out there, right? And the, the lack of pollutants that you put in, in the air when you burn those items, uh, you know, the methane or when you burn coal. Uh, it's not perfect. And uh, we know as an industry that we have uh, a long way to go to get to that what we call circular economy. The good news is 95% of all solar panels have been installed since 2017. So they're in the first quarter of their expected life, or maybe even first six of their expected life. So we have some time to come up with the recycling. Predominantly, they're aluminum and glass. Uh, everybody who's, who's ever a, a recycled an aluminum can or a glass jar knows that there's quite a robust uh, uh, recycling ecosystem around those. Now, the tricky part is kind of pulling those apart, pulling out some of the more valuable uh, metal, uh, metals that are in there, like copper. So there still needs to be some of that. And we think that in uh, some of the federal legislation, there's going to be some, um, some incentives to help create that, uh, both the facilities to do that, as well as kind of the general ecosystem. The tricky part about right now, so if you have a solar panel that's damaged in Colorado, the closest recycling facility is Arizona. Uh, and it costs you more to... Th- to ship it to Arizona to be recycled than it does to throw it in the local landfill. We think that's a problem. And at the industry, we are looking at trying to figure out how do we have more of these facilities uh, located much more closely to where the panels are so the shipping costs uh, can come down. And therefore, it makes a whole lot of sense for you to do that. Um, you know, the, the issues around, you know, where are some of the, the components coming from? Uh, well, silica is a very abundant material, but it has to be mined, obviously, same with copper, same with aluminum. Uh, and we, you know, we think that there are, is, it's important for manufacturers to source that, uh, those materials in a, in a very reputable and very uh, sustainable way. Recently, we supported strong action by the, we being the solar industry, strong action by the, uh, it was initiated under the Trump administration and continued on under the Biden administration to um, forbid some panels that were created, what we think was using uh, slave or forced labor in mm-hmm. Western China uh, through the polysilicon. So polysilicon is a key component. And the, the Uyghurs that are imprisoned in Western uh, China appear to have been forced to, to mine that. Uh, the Trump administration identified it. The Biden administration said, we're not going to 
allow those into our into our port. And even though it causes all kinds of headaches for solar developers and does cause a, a price uh, increase because you suddenly have a, a supply shock, we fully think that's the right thing to do. And so we're, we're yeah. cognizant of these concerns, but I think they're a little bit overblown. And I think there's some time to, to figure out, you know, what do we do, especially around the recycling? Jobs. Just, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I jump in there and, and, and bring this local. I think something that uh, a number of developers have, you know, worked in, in the Southern Colorado region and there's, you know, certainly a number of projects that are coming to fruition across, all across Colorado. And, you know, I, I kind of harken back to 2010 when, you know, there's a lot of excitement around wind turbine manufacturing coming to Colorado. Um, and, and I have to think, and this is just me riffing and I've not heard looked in that kind of analysis here, but, you know, Pueblo in the, in, in the Pueblo area and in Southern Colorado in general have, you know, this tremendous resource in, you know, being steel city being probably being still city and i have to think um, as as much as you know that there's aluminum and, and silicon that go into the solar panels there's also with every project these tend to track the sun uh throughout the course of the day and what's called a single axis tracker it tracks the sun from the from the east where the sun rises to the west where it you know sets and you know with having an established steel infrastructure and steel manufacturing infrastructure here in the Pueblo area and in Colorado more broadly, you know, there's got to be an opportunity to make that part of what could be a circular economy in terms of, you know, specific to the, 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 you know, Southern Colorado region. Uh, and I know it's something that, you know, we've had the good fortune of visiting with, you know, folks at CSU Pueblo and, and Pueblo Community College and, and looking at that and, you know, add to that, uh, Sarah, and, and this is a, uh, a tribute to your your wonderful conference this year. The fact uh, there's a lineman program at Trinidad State University that has 100% um, hiring for their you know the folks who graduate out of that program. So it, it really is there's a, a the, the premise here for a wonderful Southern Colorado story around the growth of these industries. I I agree. I I've been uh, you know talking about this like we have an opportunity. Like going to the recycling, we do have um, rail here that goes to Texas and I think to Arizona and all around, that there is an opportunity that Pueblo and Southern Colorado can really, um, you know, take this and say like, hey, like, especially for the recycling part and decommissioning, like that, that could be a, an economic development side of the solar industry here in the region. Um, so, so going back to solar and what it means and the positives and negatives. So one thing that we've been tracking with Action 22 constantly, and and that's water, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have this whole water speculation, what's going to happen in the future. And unfortunately, it's not the end of the world, but it's not good either. And as we go through this, this time period where water is going to be more scarce of a resource, you have these farms, this land in southeastern Colorado, northwestern Colorado, even the western slope that may not have the water to continue to operate at the, the size that the, these ranches and farms are operating at now. And, you know, in the past, the federal government does the CRP funding where it's like, hey, don't farm, we'll pay you, let the, the land kind of repair itself and then farm later. But that 
that was not a permanent program. It could go away. Um, I think it was only supposed to last for two years, but it's indefinitely extended. But at the same time, you know, we have these, these producers, these ranchers, these farmers that are sitting on this land and it's like, hey, I got to cut out 5,000 acres or 500 acres or whatever it is, but they still need the revenue. And one thing that, that I think would be the revenue is solar or renewable energy. It could be anything. It'd be windmills, solar, whatever, what have you. But do you see that as an opportunity specifically for the Action 22 region where, you know, in, in all my land that I'm farming on, like I may not be on to f- be able to farm as much in the future due to water constraints, how can I make money on this and keep it sustainable? Is solar an option for these people? Taylor's having these conversations Taylor. every day. He should, he should answer it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. I, I think it is an option and really the constraint that you see from solar and, and, you know, uh, and, and wind as well is the ability to tie into the grid and the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is the key driver for people who are, you know, myself and my contemporaries uh, at other development shops, um, development companies is what are, you know, what's our ability here to tie into the grid. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we see this in, in you know, we've seen this in Northwestern Colorado or sorry, Northeastern Colorado with, you know, you know, buy and dry programs, right? Where there's buy and dry, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are faced with, uh, you know, with with land that's with dry land, and, and and I think the theme that we see there is let's protect landowners' rights of mm-hmm. what they want to do and what the best, highest, and best use of that land becomes, and that's something that I think ties into some of the comments Mike made earlier. Is you know. Frankly, we are a landowner rights state in a lot of ways, and we're a farming rights state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the, the, where I run into some of the most vehement kind of feeling, or I touch on the vehement nerves of my landowner partners that I'm partnering on these projects with, is don't tell me how to run my farming operation. I'm fourth generation. And, yeah. you know, please don't dictate to me. Uh, I, I do not have the water resource. Perhaps I'm in the, sh- you know, Sugar City area, or I'm in the Rocky Ford area, or I'm, you know, in Lamar, and water is becoming more constrained. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is a, you know, theme across the, you know, the Southwest more broadly. And so, you know, don't tell me what my limitations are. And and you know, assuming that we have the ability to export power or send power to a municipality nearby, that's that's a great candidate for us. Uh, but then we have, you know, we are constrained. And, and I think sometimes we see landowners who say, I would love for that transmission line to be built on my land or that distribution mm-hmm. line to be built on my property, because I know that gives me another opportunity for economic export. So is it, and we're hearing this not just in the energy realm or the water realm, but in a whole bunch of different um, areas of interest. And this is has seemed to have popped up quite a, a bit since um, for us in our discussion since our annual meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, is the is this something that you're getting a lot of pushback on? Or I guess who who are you getting pushback on from the the water or the property rights perspective? 
So Sarah, I think um, what we see is it's a conflict, right? It's a property owner who may not want to see the solar that his neighbor wants to put on, whether that's going to be on their rooftop or it's going to be, you know, hundreds of acres uh, out back. So it tends to be a, a conflict between the two and what what's expected, uh, right? When I purchased this land, I expected to have this view of, of kind of untouched nature. And now my neighbor mm-hmm. wants to wants to put, you know, 500 acres of solar on there. Well, that feels that feels very industrial to me. We heard, we've heard this a lot. Yeah. Uh, but then we have the flip side, the farmer who says, look, if I put 500 acres of solar on there, I get those lease payments for 20 years. I'm farming the sun, I'm not farming, you know, the soybeans or, or whatever that you might be uh, doing or the cattle. Um, and that allows me to stay on the land of maybe allow, it makes more attractive for my children to stay on the land or come back to yeah. the farm. And so that's where we find that the, the conflict, what we've generally seen across Colorado is that the Ability to do with your land um, as you see fit, as long as it does not have a detrimental uh, uh, health or safety impact on your neighbor, tends to win the day. It's not without yeah. a lot of sound and fury, um, but that's what happens. It's very different than the East Coast, where um, you know, or or uh, I've talked to my colleague who runs the Oregon Solar Association. The entire Willamette Valley has a view set view shed protection, and even though it's phenomenal for solar. Um, they've, they've got this law that basically says you can't put solar there because it, it will impact my view shed. Uh, we don't have that in Colorado. I think that's, a, that's, uh, that's the right move. Um, but that's where we see the conflict. And I would point out just real quick on this, one of the other issues is the transmission. So we can't yeah. really have this conversation unless transmission gets built. Excel is suggesting to build this transmission along the Eastern Plains. I'm very passionate about the San Luis Valley and the six counties yeah. over there. Their mm-hmm. transmission constraint, they, they would... Their aquifer is under as much trouble as everybody else's, and and the ability for the landowners there to convert potatoes to solar um, is is extremely limited to, to next to nothing because transmission in and out of the valleys is constrained, and and so you know it takes a a concerted coalition of lots of folks to get that transmission built, and uh, and you know certainly COSA is very interested in getting and connecting with folks who are interested in in building transmission in and out of the, the San Luis Valley. Well, and the San Luis Valley is so, it could not be more perfect for solar um, energy production. It's our Saudi Arabia. It it produces about 10% more solar per panel than uh, anywhere else in the state due to its combination of altitude, uh, cooler climate, and amazing amount of sunlight. So, you know, but we can't unlock that unless we get transmission built. Likewise, we won't be able to unlock much of the the Southern Colorado solar and wind unless Excel's uh, program gets, the transmission gets built, and that will be fought on a county by county level at a planning, yeah. you know, commissions. Yeah. And uh, going back to one of your previous comments, does the sun shine in Oregon? Is that even <laughs> like, is that a real thing? <laughs> I, I believe uh, it happens like three months out of the year. And then they're, they're sort of like human batteries <laughs> up there. They collect all their vitamin D for three months and just wait out the remaining nine. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's fair. But, you know, one of the things that we hear and, and, over and oh, go ahead, Taylor. I'm sorry. Sorry, just real quick, uh, one of the most, you know, uh, the highest penetrations of solar in the world is Germany, which basically has the same solar resources as Alaska, right? So, uh, you know, I think there's, it's all relative, right? And and I think sometimes people look for the opportunity for the perfect here, but, you know, uh, as we, as the industry advances, there's going to be a lot of really good projects, but we can't necessarily let, uh, be you know uh, perfectly the 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 alternative to, to good yeah 
Yeah. So Taylor, you and I have had a lot of uh, discussions around um, this idea of why there's so much concern. And I think, um, like you and I have talked about, uh, I think there's some fear that um, with solar that we're picking winners and losers on that. Um, tell me a little bit about, let's, let's uh, unpack that conversation just a little bit. Sure, and maybe I can approach this from the standpoint of how pro large projects come to be, and, and even beyond that, some medium-sized projects. So projects from the standpoint of ten to you know ten to thousands of acres. Um, so ten acres to thousands of acres. Those are typically you know utilities will typically have a resource planning process, and it usually runs between three, maybe four years. Uh, certainly here in Colorado, and yeah, I think that there's a misnomer that, you know, that only happens every three years. Well, typically a developer myself is planning for a couple of years and looking for sites, knowing that the process is coming, but those aren't necessarily resource specific. And so what you have is developers of wind and solar and energy storage. And I expect that if the build back better process or policies get passed, you'll have more standalone of each of those equipment and you'll have wind paired with storage more so right now, really the, the laws are written such that you have solar and storage um, and, and those are tied together. Um, uh, storage is most likely right now to be implemented with solar. Uh, so you have the opportunity to bid in, let's say a traditional or a uh, nuclear power plant uh, along with, a solar resource. And it really comes down to what's called the levelized cost of electricity. And so uh, with a Nextel Energy or Black Hills Energy, the two state, the state's two investor-owned utilities, they are going to look at what the levelized cost of electricity is from multiple resources and then compare that with their other goals. So does this fit my renewable uh, targets that we have set internally? or that you know, we're, are driving our organization. And, and those are the different decisions they're making as they do their own resource planning. And so I think the, the service we do as we think about the economic development that comes from these projects is to let, you know, the more thumbs on the scale that we say, okay, we, this resource should come here and this resource should come here, you know, there is, that perhaps has an unintended consequence of driving up cost of electricity. We have been the beneficiary in solar and wind in seeing the some of the lowest cost of electricity come in uh, to the generation portfolios uh, of the utilities that we work with. And you know, I'd, I'd say that we're going through currently a, a bit of a process that's somewhat well documented, and we're seeing some, you know, some COVID follow-on effects here in supply chain um, on costs. But I think that's true for every uh, generation resource. But we also have the opportunity with renewables and, and, and primarily with solar from the point where somebody starts talking, a developer starts talking to a landowner, the point where you can start building that project is three years. Whereas a traditional generation or a, you know, a, a larger generation facility could take 10 years to permit because of federal level permitting standards. And so I think that there's an opportunity, especially in Southern Colorado with a great solar resource, to see an influx of opportunities and projects, it does not preclude larger generation facilities. 
And, yeah. you know, it really comes down to an available transmission. Thanks so for what you're, harp on so, that. Okay. And so, so what I was going to say with that right now in Pueblo, um, we're having this discussion with uh, closing down Comanche with XL, and there is this push for nuclear power in Pueblo. And we've tried this 15 years ago, whenever it was, and now it's coming back. And one thing, I think that the conversation is like almost exclusive on both sides, right? It's like the nuclear people are like, we need nuclear now, let's do it. And then the other side, solar, wind, et cetera, they're like, no, we don't need nuclear, we need this now. But what the discussion that I don't see happening is that like, okay, so say Pueblo decides to go nuclear, um, you know, that that's like a 10, 15, 20 year process to get that implemented. And what nobody's saying is like, well, why not make it easier for these solar projects to come through? Because that will kind of be like the stopgap, right? So they, they close down Comanche earlier than they, they want to or whatever they're pushing for, 2030. But in the meantime, you could have these solar projects go up, um, private citizens, the county, everybody makes money on it. And it's providing clean, renewable energy. And at the same time, they are building that nuclear power infrastructure to like be more of the end of it. But they complement each other. And nobody's talking about how both sides complement each other. And that kind of bothers me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I don't mean to absorb the time here from Mike, but I think, you know, let's look at the, let's also think about, I agree with that. I don't think Mike or I, we're both, you know, pretty busy with, he's certainly doing a, a phenomenal job attending to the interests of his members, but we're not necessarily thinking about a foot race with other technologies. We're thinking about, yeah, you know, yeah. following through on the commitments. Remember, we're making the utilities that we're signing agreements with. And so, you know, we're not necessarily looking to, to, to do something that would offset necessarily another generation resource. We're just looking on following through on the commitments we've made to our utility partners and our landowner partners. I think the, the other side of that is uh, along the lines of, um, it is along the lines of, you know, these projects uh, right now are, uh, with solar projects are, or wind projects are signing agreements for 15 to 25 years, maybe 30 years. So it does provide for that, like you said, Brian. I would fully agree with that comment. So, so we have like one minute left. So we will give Mike the last word of the show. Anything you want to say, Mike? Uh, I would just say that folks should know that, uh, you know, across the Action 22 network, that solar developers will be knocking on your door uh, if you have land within about five miles of a transmission line or a planned transmission line. And uh, you would do well to uh, kind of learn a little bit about the industry. We're happy here at COSI to help you with that. And if you're a decision maker, um, it's coming. So uh, you may want to get proactive rather than reactive. Thank you very much. That's Sarah. perfect. Thanks, uh, guys. Thanks, Solar Dudes. We appreciate you. <laughs> solar Dudes. We'll have, we'll have more conversations later. Uh, join us next week. You can get this show anytime you want on demand um, by looking up Making Action Happen. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.